you don't need to be registered for GST to make a taxable importation. But if you are registered for GST and you're importing the goods solely or partly for a creditable purpose, you know, in carrying on your enterprise and it's not input tax, for example, you're, you're not importing precious metals, then it can be a creditable importation and you can claim input tax credits on it. Listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 190 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson, and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Some weeks ago, in episode 137 to 141, Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne covered the GST treatment of exports, but we didn't touch on imports. So today is the first of four episodes to do just that. In this episode, Simon will walk you through taxable importations. You can actually be subject to a GST on imports without being registered for GST. Yes, yeah, that's a very good point. Unlike a, a taxable supply, where one of the conditions is that the entity or the supplier you know, is registered or, or required to be registered, that condition doesn't apply for taxable importations. So GST can be payable on a taxable importation by a person or a business that isn't registered for GST. For export, you go through the checklist and you first check whether you even have a supply, check all the other requirements of a supply. You don't actually have that for the importation, do you? For a taxable importation, I should say, the steps are quite different. So you would say, are we dealing with goods? Are they being imported, entered for home consumption? Is it a, a non-taxable importation? And that will tell you, if is it a taxable importation? And, and then you go on to work out, well, if it is, then what is the GST payable? Because that's another difference. It's paid on the value of the, the supply, which is different for a taxable supply. The first question to ask is, are we dealing with an importation of goods? Because the taxable importation only applies to goods. It doesn't apply to services or to intellectual property, intangible property, I should say. So goods is defined as any form of tangible personal property. And by tangible, as I've just said, it excludes intangible property, like, for example, a ticket or a gift card. Even though those are things that you can touch, they were considered to be intangible property because they're effectively evidence of a prepayment. Software can be a bit tricky in terms of is it tangible or intangible, but generally if it comes in a box, if any software these days is purchased that way, then it would be tangible. But if it's downloaded over the internet, then that would be an intangible supply. And most software nowadays is downloaded from the internet. I think we are way past the times when software would arrive as a disk in a nice glossy package. Yeah, I agree. So in that case of downloading via the internet, then we're not talking about a tangible good and therefore it won't be subject to 
the taxable importation rules. Yes. And just looking back to export, why there are a lot of differences between importation and export, I think that is actually an area where the two overlap in the definition of goods and in the definition that goods are tangible personal property. I think for exports, you also use the term personal property correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's actually very misleading because of course, when you hear personal property, you think of the watch you carry or the bed you sleep in. But of course, it's any property that is not real estate and then you can touch and move. That's right. It, it's not just limited to property for personal use. It's, it's not just property that you can sort of carry about on, on your person, but anything that's really any form of property other than land It's personal property. Coming back to the criteria for taxable importation, it needs to be tangible personal property, a.k.a. goods. Yes, that's right. And that's probably the first criteria. There are probably more. Well, the, the next criteria isn't imported for home consumption. And that's where, again, a link to exports is. I assume that it also refers to the ITZ, the indirect tax zone. Yes, That's right. So it needs to be imported into the ITZ or probably be connected in some way with the ITZ? Yeah. So imported is means brought to Australia to be unloaded here is, you know, just the, the normal definition of the word. It also needs to be entered for home consumption within the meaning of the Customs Act. And that really means home consumption means entered into the commerce of Australia. So it's not limited to consumption of a, an individual consumer for personal reasons, but if it's being imported by business as, as an input into their business and that gets turned into a product that's supplied on to another business, then that, that is still considered to be entered for home consumption. Yeah, so home consumption doesn't mean that you take it into your home and consume it there. Home consumption is more like Homeland consumption, like homeland security, it means the area of Australia or the area of the indirect tax zone. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Even if you know, you're dealing with goods that are being brought, uh, imported into Australia for home consumption, you may not be making a taxable importation because there may be a, a non-taxable importation. And there's different categories of things that can be non-taxable importations. Perhaps the most common one is goods where the consignment, low value goods, that's where the consignment has a, a value of under $1,000. When you're dealing with those, you know, you need to be aware of the somewhat recent amendments to extend GST to, to low value goods. And, you know, we'll talk about that uh, next episode. But for now, yeah, just keep that exemption in mind. Simon, maybe I jump too quickly to conclusions, but is it possible to say that basically Any tangible personal property, so anything you can touch that comes into Australia is an importation. And then whether it's taxable or not, then just depends on the value of it. Are there more exclusions than just the value of $1,000? Am I jumping too quickly to a conclusion? There are other exemptions that are, I think are worth covering. One kind of exemption is when the, the goods are if they were supplied within Australia, they'd be GST-free or input taxed. For example, if you were going to bring in a wheelchair or a vehicle that's been modified for use by a, a disabled person, there are, of course, exemptions for uh, medical supplies. They're treated as GST-free. And if those 
imports you know qualified for that GST free status, then they wouldn't be a, a taxable importation. Another category of importations that are non-taxable importations are goods that are returned unaltered. So let's say a manufacturer sends goods overseas under a sold on consignment terms, and then later on, those goods weren't able to be on-sold and they were returned back to the manufacturer, re-imported into Australia, you know, without any changes or alterations being made to those goods, then on being sent back to Australia that wouldn't constitute a, a taxable importation. So these are the three main exemptions. If the supply had been GST-free anyway, if it had been made within Australia, if the goods leave Australia again unaltered, or if the value is below $1,000? Yeah, there are many other exemptions. They're listed in Schedule 4 of the Customs and Tariff Acts, and they cover all sorts of things like calendars, catalogues and overseas travel literature, goods owned by a foreign government for official use by that government, goods donated to a registered charity. There's quite a long list of items that are non-taxable importation and are therefore not subject to GST and generally not subject to customs duties either. I agree that the ones you, you listed are the, the main ones. Just make, making a broad statement again, any goods that come into Australia are usually a taxable importation unless the supply would have been GST-free anyway, unless the goods will leave Australia again unaltered or unless the value is below $1,000 or unless it is for an embassy and a few other exemptions. But usually as a broad statement, anything that physically crosses the Australian coastline, with the exception, of course, of the islands, etc., anything that crosses the Australian coastline will be a taxable importation unless a specific exemption applies. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then you mentioned customs duty. How much is the taxable importation linked to customs duty? Because then they are basically two things. When you have a taxable importation, you have to pay GST on the taxable value. But then usually it would also attract the customs duty. Are the two usually linked that if it's a taxable importation, there's also a customs duty? Or do these two routes run in different directions? There is a link between the two. Uh, one link is that putting aside the GST scheme, both the GST and the customs duties are, are payable to customs at the point of importation and you know, before the, the goods are, are released. So in terms of how and when they're paid, they're linked. And they're also linked in the sense that, you know, I spoke of Schedule 4 to the, of the Customs and Tariffs Act that sets out goods that are either exempt or concessionally treated for customs purposes. And they also have the same concessional treatment, you know, i.e. They're, they're non-taxable importations for GST purposes. Okay, so the two often go hand in hand. If something is exempt and is not a taxable importation, it's also often exempt for customs duty. Yes, that's right. The other point you made was that whoever collects the customs duty also collects the GST on importation Putting, of course, the deferred GST scheme aside. Yes, from a GST perspective, GST is payable by the, the importer. And the importer is the party who, one, causes the goods to be brought to Australia 
with the purpose of supplying, using or otherwise applying those goods after importation. An entity like a, a freight forwarder or a courier, they're not the party that is bringing them to Australia for those purposes. They're just engaged by, by someone else to do that. Two, the person or party that completes the customs formalities for entry of the goods. So you know, their name appears on the declarations. So it's important that those two conditions are satisfied by the same entity. Otherwise, you know, it may be a situation where, where neither can claim the input tax credits. Yes, because I think there is a funny a mismatch that if the name of the person on the customs papers is different to the name on the invoice or something, then nobody can claim the input tax credit for the GST on the taxable importation, correct? Yeah, that's right. So typically, even if a customs broker or similar sort of party is, is used to bring the goods into Australia, it's still the, you know, the Australian business or you know, individual that engages them whose name will appear on the customs formality of the import declaration. And so that, that's okay. In some cases, it may be that the customs broker or the, the other party's name is listed. And, and if that's the case, then it's important to be able to show that you know, they've done so only as agent and need to be able to demonstrate that the existence of, of that agency relationship to ensure that there's no adverse GST implications. When we discuss the exports, we spend a fair bit of time on discussing the INCO terms. I assume that the INCO terms are also very important on the importation side to establish who the importer is, correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the easiest way to see who completes the customs formalities is, of course, to get a, get your hands on, on the, the declaration and see whose name appears as importer. But yeah, that's definitely impacted by the INCO terms that, that apply. Yes. Okay. So very easy rule of thumb is basically, and that probably also applies to exports, just have a look at the customs papers. Whoever is listed as the exporter or importer most likely is the exporter or importer. Yes, that's right. Then, you know, once we've got a taxable importation, we know who the importer is. The importer has to pay GST on, on the taxable importations. They pay it on the value of the taxable importation. And the, and the value is made up of, of six different components. The first and largest component is the, the customs value of the goods. The value of the goods at the time they were exported as determined by Australian customs, excluding GST and transport and insurance costs from the place of export. Obviously, you know, we, we don't have a, a situation where customs are employing valuers to every single good brought into Australia they're assigning a value to. In the majority of cases, the transaction value method is used for determining customs value. And that's broadly what's paid or payable for the item, including commission and brokerage fees and package and container costs and charges. Where you wouldn't apply the transaction value method is in situations where the parties are not dealing with each other at arm's length, you know, related parties, and that their relationship uh, yeah, impacts the price, influences the price that's paid or payable. And what 
where you've got that, then there are other methods of that customs can apply to assign a, a value to the goods. So there's the, the identical goods method, the similar goods method, deductive value, and the computed value methods, for, for example. So it's a bit like transfer pricing in, in the sense that the parties are related and, and not dealing with each other at arm's length and may have a, an incentive to adjust the price that's payable to achieve a, a better tax outcome, then that price, you know, for tax purposes can be, you know, can be changed, can be adjusted. Yeah, exactly. That's the first part of value. Then uh, the next three parts are the amount paid or payable for the international transport of the goods to their place of consignment in Australia, the amount paid or payable to insure the goods for that international transport, and the amount paid or payable for loading or handling of the goods or for the facilitation or for facilitation services, such as fumigation. And there's actually a, a shortcut method that the importer can apply, if they like. Instead of working out the, you know, those three, three amounts and adding them to the, the customs value, they can choose instead to simply take 10% of the, the customs value and say that all those costs I just listed are equal to 10% of the customs value. Finally, there was two last components of the value to calculate the value. Number five is any customs duty payable. And I believe that generally the rate is 5%, but you know, can be more, can be less. And finally, any wine equalisation tax payable. Add up those six components and that's the value. And then you pay GST is, is 10% of that. And it feels quite harsh that you have to pay GST on on customs duty. It feels like you're paying a tax on a tax. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, uh, yeah, I agree. To just distinguish between the GST you pay on importation and the customs duty, the GST you pay for a taxable importation, you can then claim as an import tax credit, whereas the customs duty you pay, you don't get back the way you get the GST back. The customs duty just goes into your cost of sales. Yes, yeah, exactly right. There's a certain software to pay the customs duty and the GST on importation. What's the department called again that manages all this? Department of Immigration and Border Protection. Ah, okay, Border Protection. So it's the Department of Immigration and Border Protection. Yeah, and that, they, the system that I think you're referring to is, is their integrated cargo system, you know, which is a way of entering the goods electronically and keeping track of things electronically rather than using paper forms. That would work similar to the online services for agents in terms of that you probably have cloud-based software or desktop-based software that links into this online system and then you just upload your information and pay. Yeah, I, I don't have much experience using the, the integrated cargo system myself. Yeah, because you advise whether something would be subject to GST or not. You advise on the general tax position of a certain export or import, but you're not actually involved in the handling of the import or export, correct? Yeah, that's correct. You don't need to be registered for GST to make a taxable importation. But if you are registered for GST and you're importing the goods solely or partly for a creditable purpose, you know, that is 
you know, in carrying on your enterprise and, and it's not input tax, for example, you're, you're not importing precious metals, then it can be a creditable importation and you can claim input tax credits on it. If you're importing them for use in your, your business and it's not input tax, not private or domestic, then, then you can claim the input tax credits on the creditable importation. The What that means is the credits on the input creditable importation, like you know, credits on a creditable acquisition, are claimed for, via the business activity statement. So you, you wait until the, the end of the month or, or until the end of the quarter and lodge the BAS and then wait for the ATO to issue a refund if you're in a, a net refundable position or reduce your GST payable. And what that means is that essentially you're you're paying the GST on the importation when you when the goods you know, come into Australia, and then you have to wait to claim the credit. So it may be neutral from a GST perspective overall, but it, it does give a, a timing disadvantage, and that's why the deferred GST scheme exists to help the business with their cash flow. Yeah. So that they basically only have to pay when they have sold the goods. That's right. So instead of paying the GST on the taxable importation at customs, you know, you supply customs with your ABN and they'll see that you've been approved for the deferred GST scheme and you won't be required to pay it to customs at that stage. They'll then notify the ATO what you know, what is payable and the ATO will then pre-fill that into the BAS and you'll pay it when you lodge the BAS at the same time that you're claiming the credit. This system you mentioned before, it's called the cargo system, isn't it? The integrated cargo system. Integrated cargo system. So usually when the goods come in, you pay customs duty and GST on taxable importations through the integrated cargo system. However, when you qualify for the GST deferred scheme, you still pay the customs duty through the integrated cargo system but you don't have to pay the GST. Instead, you pay the GST on importation and claim the GST input tax credit at the time when you have actually sold in the quarter you actually, or in the quarter or months you actually sold the um, goods. Yes, that's right. So to be eligible for that scheme, you need to meet various conditions. You know, one of them is that you're entering the goods for home consumption electronically, so you're using this integrated cargo system. You mentioned monthly or quarterly. Another condition is that you need to be lodging BASs monthly. Obviously, you need to have an ABN and be registered for GST. You need to be lodging your BASs electronically, you know, via the tax agent portal or via the business portal or the standard business reporting and paying electronically. So, you know, BPAY or EFT, not, you know, not be sending a, a check-in. The key condition is that you need to have a, a satisfactory compliance record in terms of tax lodgements and payments are up to date. Also, the directors and the office bearers, partners, trustees and public officers cannot have been convicted or penalised by a court of specific offences in the past three years. So they relate to tax requirements, customs requirements, the inaccurate description of goods, trade practices, fair trading, and defrauding of the government. Essentially, the government is trusting you that they'll give you the goods now without you having to pay GST because they trust that you will pay them the GST later. So you need to prove that you're uh, trustworthy. Yes, and it's funny that 
you can have criminal charges that doesn't matter or you need to have done this that you always acted prudently in a financial sense yeah yeah there's uh, there's nothing about you know not committing murder on there uh, but uh, yeah you can't uh, from a you know, trade practices and fair trading perspective you need to to be a, an upstanding citizen you also can't be an undischarged bankrupt and uh, yeah and so as i said if you if you qualify for the scheme and you you have to be careful that you're continuing to lodge and, and pay your tax obligations on time because if you don't then you can be you know you can be kicked out but whilst you're on the scheme then it operates quite smoothly customs tells the ato what you know what to put pre-fill in, into the bass and then you uh yeah, just pay it and pay the credit in the same period. And, and then, of course, you know, you may on-sell those goods and, yeah, that would be a, likely be a taxable supply. And so at that stage, you, you pay, pay GST on that. And I saw in your notes that, according to the government, roughly 95% of business importations are covered by the deferred GST scheme. And I thought that's quite a high percentage. It is high. It, it would be less than 95% of businesses because, of course, larger businesses are making many more taxable importations than smaller ones. And, and they're more likely to uh, to apply for the, the scheme. But it makes sense, given the, the advantages that it offers, that would be taken up by many businesses, I think. The key takeaways are, one, you make sure that you're, you're dealing with goods. Two, you know, remember that it's the importer pays the GST on the value of the goods and that even if they're not registered for GST. Three would be to make sure that it's not a, a non-taxable importation. And four, you know, just deferred GST scheme, you know, corrects for this um, potential timing disadvantage of um you're having to pay GST on importation and, and wait until the lodgement of the best to, to claim the credits. Importation feels a lot easier than exports. I just find what we covered today feels a lot more straightforward than when we discussed exports. Is that right, that importations are more straightforward? Or is that just my impression and it gets a lot more complicated when we look at the other topics we will cover next. Yeah, I agree. Today's topic is quite a lot simpler, I think, than when we discussed the exportation of goods that you know, had so many, you know, each item of the table had so many different requirements. Where things can, you know, will get a bit more complicated next episode is when we're talking about you know, GST being extended to supplies of low value goods, particularly where you have situations where uh, there's multiple items that individually are below the thousand dollar threshold and but in total are greater or you know where they were expected to be shipped separately and were, but are in fact were shipped together or vice versa and there's all these rules that are intended to avoid double taxation when the two systems interact. It's, so the interaction between the taxable importations and the taxable supplies can get a little complicated, but hopefully I'll do my best to explain them clearly next episode. Welcome back. So this was the first of four episodes we will do about the GST treatment of imports. 
Next week, we will look at low-value good imports. And then also later, the so-called Netflix tax. And after that, electronic distribution platforms. Tomorrow, in episode 191, Daniel Mikhail of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney will talk about RAP and managed accounts. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.